0: Welcome to a special episode of the Creating High-Performing Teams podcast. Today, we'll be talking about three major trending topics managers should learn about. We'll be looking at, one, how to handle employee burnout post-COVID. Two, key takeaways for managers from the latest edition of Buffer's State of Remote Report. And three, we'll be talking about what managers can learn from the Showtime TV series about Uber called Super Pumped. You're listening to the Creating High-Performing Teams podcast. We aim to be the most actionable leadership and management podcast out there. Our goal is for every episode to tell you exactly what you can do when you take your headphones off or your earbuds out to help you be a better leader. Today's episode is covering three current topics. We hear a bit of my rants and as usual, we'll give you actionable advice to be a better leader based on these topics. That's why we chose them. How can you avoid the great resignation hitting your team? How can you avoid burnout? There's a Business Insider tweet storm I saw that I was talking about whether anything has really changed in employee burnout because of COVID. And their contention was that burnout is not really different. The location where people are burning out may be different, but the symptoms and largely the causes of them are largely the same. I think in some ways they're right, in some ways they're wrong. They're right in the sense that the reasons people burn out haven't really changed, but who is burning out on your team may change because of the environment shift. So let's first think about what really is burnout. To me, burnout is when the motivation to do work is less than the effort it takes to do the job. So on one hand, if you're working 100 hours a week, you will eventually burn out if you're not working on life-changing, incredibly motivating work. It's going to grind you down. But as you reduce the hours, motivation still matters. And so I think a lot of times people burn out because of something called learned helplessness. That's when you feel like things are beyond your control and you just give up. And when you do that, it becomes harder and harder to get to do things. You just, everything feels like it takes monumental effort to push. And so actually it's a really sad story. The way they learned what learned helplessness was is they took dogs and they did this study where they were shocking the dogs. Obviously they did not like that, but initially they trapped the dogs. And so those dogs would keep getting shocked, keep getting shocked, keep getting shocked and couldn't do anything about it. Well, other dogs had just a short wall and they could actually jump and run away from the shocks. And it turned out that the dogs who had been shocked and couldn't get away from the shocks for too long, they would give up. They would just sit there. And so even if they were later put in an environment where they could get away from the shocks, they wouldn't even bother trying. That is learned helplessness. That is also a terrible story if you're a dog lover. But it's an important lesson in how if you feel like you've lost control in your life, it is a very dangerous time for you or a team member. And so another way people can burn out is if they feel like there's a bunch of things beyond their control. If you're on a project that's never going to end, if you have a partner on a project and they're a nightmare to work with and you just have to take endless abuse, that will burn you out. If you feel like the company's going sideways and none of your efforts can do anything about it, that can burn you out. All of those things contribute to that feeling of hopelessness that things aren't going to get better. And so what can you do about it as a manager? First is talk about it with your team. You need to ask them. And don't assume just because someone was okay before means that they're okay. Their responsibilities may have changed, the things that they're working on in a given day or time may have changed and their personal life may have changed. And all of those things can lead to people suddenly not feeling as great as they may have before. That's why it's so important as a leader to to regularly check in and look for early warning signs. Are they less enthusiastic in meetings? Are they checking out earlier at the end of the day? Are they less available when you need to reach them do they bring a malaise or is their energy level different than it used to be? All of those are early warning signs you should use to dig into to find out what's really going on and hopefully do something about it beforehand and fix what you can control. So can you break projects into smaller pieces so that it's easier for them to hit milestones along the way? Can you encourage breaks and vacations by, first of all, leading by example? Are you taking breaks or are you burning yourself out too? That doesn't help you or your team. But it also means that when you do hit big milestones, encourage your team to recharge a little bit. Whether you're in person and you can go off for a team dinner to celebrate, uh, or you simply tell everybody, hey, take it easy tomorrow, I think it makes a big difference. I had a friend who's a great CTO who used to always tell his teams that after a major ship, they would always do a sprint after that. That was nothing but bug squishing and it was super light. And he would tell the PMs, hey, we're not starting something new until my team recharges, so don't plan much for next week. I want half to a quarter energy level for the team so that they would be able to survive the marathon, not the sprint. The other thing you can do then is obviously celebrate wins and recognize positive momentum. Make sure they see the progress they're making. Make sure they know someone's paying attention so that at least you are recognizing what they're doing. And of course, if you can be an advocate for your team, that makes a big difference too. Whether that be saying no to certain projects that you know will be a problem for your team, not letting them get overloaded with too many demands, or simply advocating for the proper level of recognition for the efforts they put in. When you do these sorts of things, they can make a really big difference on whether your team burns out. And so it's really important, regardless of the cause of the burnout, that you keep an eye out for your team and do the things you can as a manager like we just talked about. So looking at topic number two, let's talk about the Buffer State of Remote report. So for context, they interviewed over 2,000 people doing a survey covering 16 different countries. Really important is actually the segmentation of it. Half, 52% are employees, while 42% are independent consultants or freelancers. So it's important to recognize that half of the respondents don't have a boss. And so some of these things you should take with a giant grain of salt. And so we've tried to pull out some of the things that we think are most interesting and relevant to managers. Also, as before, it's important to recognize that the buffer audience for this survey is very pro-remote. I would borderline call it religious. If you criticize remote in front of these people, they will have a visceral negative reaction towards you. So these, are, these aren't these are even converts, this is preaching to the choir of the survey. But it is a helpful benchmark in understanding what it's like for remote workers, especially if you're someone who suddenly has a hybrid team or some people aren't coming into the office and some people are. These insights are very valuable and helpful for you to think about that remote worker who you do not see face to face. What are those keys? We have five we're gonna go over today and there's a lot more we'll link in the show notes so you can check out the full report first it it seems still very common that remote work tends to hurt your career prospects a plurality 45 percent, felt that was the case i think this is particularly the case for hybrid situations if you have people that are in the office being visible to both their boss and their boss's boss and you are working from home and no one sees you do not be surprised when the person who's visible in the office gets the promotion If you like old-school Seinfeld episodes, you probably remember the episode where Costanza worked for the Yankees and they saw his car made him look like he was the first one in the building and the last one out every night, even more than Steinbrenner. While that was uh, done for comedic effect, that's exactly what happens when people have visibility in an office. They're seen physically in the office giving a presentation. They're seen physically working hard at their desk. There's really no way to overcome that remotely by comparison and so i think one of the things you have to be very conscious of as somebody who decides to work remotely is either choose to work at a company with a level playing field where everyone is remote or if you are going to be remote and most people are in the office one you should think about how often you can travel to that office so don't pick a company to work at where it would be a huge pain to come into the office once a quarter or more And second of all, recognize that maybe this means that certain kinds of advancement options aren't for you. Like you could become an L7 instead of an L6 as an engineer or a marketer, but you're not going to get to rise to be a VP of engineering because that's a visibility driven role. So if you love individual contributor work, you're great at what you do, you're an expert and you communicate well, you can, you can absolutely thrive as a remote worker. But if you want certain kind of management level, heavy decision maker kind of roles, I think it's very hard for you to be at a company that isn't fully remote and be able to have those opportunities. The next survey response that was really interesting was, there was a huge jump in the number of companies going fully remote compared to last year. Last year, it was 46%. This year, it's 72%. So it nearly doubled. And so what that says to me is that remote work is here to stay. If you haven't built the skills to manage remotely, it's time to get started. You are going to manage remote workers the rest of your career as a manager. It's going to be a skill that's going to be sought after. It's a skill that will hold you back if you do not have it. And so I'd encourage you to check out episode 17 for great insights from Valentina Turner who is a veteran and she trains people on this topic. And obviously we have some links I'll include to blog posts, but I think this jump with companies going fully remote to 72% means that most people's job prospects will include at least considering companies that have a remote policy or allow some people to work remotely. And as a manager, chances are, even if you are not remote, you will be managing people who are remote. And I think there's nothing harder than being a manager of a hybrid team. Next, I I don't think this is a surprise, but it is something that's easy to forget as a manager. Loneliness and the inability to unplug remain the top challenges of remote work. That means that as a manager, you should be proactive about encouraging your team to do both of those things. Loneliness means get your butt up and get out of your apartment. Get out of your house, connect with people locally. Now that COVID's dying down, go to a coffee shop sometimes to work. Engage in clubs and activities if you're single. Do things so you're not just sitting in your apartment watching Netflix and working on your laptop all day long. Make sure that there are clear dividing lines on when people are and are not working. It should be okay and safe to put your away from desk message away or not expected to respond to every Slack message you get at 11 o'clock at night. Obviously, a big part of that too is to lead by example. So are you setting boundaries on your workplace? Are you doing things to make sure you're not lonely in your work environment? Are you meeting with peers and connecting with others in the company consistently so that you have those bonds so your team knows they should do that too? Setting a good example there can make a big difference especially if you're a remote leader. And obviously looking for signs of people feeling lonely and looking like they're not unplugging should be very easy for you to spot. The loneliness may come in when they trail off on asking them what they did this weekend or ask them what activities they're doing lately that they've enjoyed outside work. And for unplugging, you should be able to see when are their pull requests coming in? When are they responding to messages in Slack? When are they emailing? Those are all signs that they're not unplugging. And so if you see those, have a conversation with them, encourage them to set some boundaries. Like It's one thing to make a really big push on a project and it's another to literally be constantly working, never ending, unsustainably. The next insight was that 52% feel less connected to their coworkers since going remote. Again, building on the loneliness, is anyone surprised by that? Come on, when you go into work at like a hundred employee or more company, like you're gonna run into people all day long. Even friends who work in other departments, you will bump into them in the kitchen. You may eat lunch with them you will be in group, group meetings, you'll be in company-wide updates. Sorry, but like a wall of Zoom faces, or it's such big a company that you can't even have everyone's faces on the Zoom for an all hands is not the same as literally being sitting in the room together and seeing a presentation from your CEO or something like that. And so I'm not surprised people are less connected. And that means as a manager, it's your job to help encourage your team to connect. So that should be intentional And building those bonds inside your team it means finding other team building activities to do it means lobbying your boss for now that COVID is over you can actually get together a couple times a year and do team building activities go get lunch and drinks together or dinner go out and do some social fun events like all those sorts of things can make a a really big difference and build those connections another thing you can do also then is make time for small talk in meetings Even the Google executives, it turns out, I learned in a book called Trillion Dollar Coach, Bill Campbell, who coached the Google founders, would still make even executives at Google talk about their weekends and talk about what was important to each other in a social way to build rapport. So there's no reason that you shouldn't do that as well. You can also then encourage peer one-on-ones. So for instance, your engineers who take an interest in the design of the product, maybe they should be meeting with the designer on the team to get to know them better. Or if you're a salesperson, maybe there's a key CS person that they count on a lot of work for them. Well, tell them to have meet with them once a month and talk about how sales are going and things they can do together. There's a lot of different ways that you can build these bonds and it's worth your time to invest in those because they're not happening otherwise. That's why these respondents are saying that. Remember, we said that 52% feel less connected to their coworkers and only 52% of people responding to the survey also happen to be employees at a company. So that seems like a pretty strong correlation there when we know that freelancers and consultants who are working for themselves are probably mostly not connected with the people they work with anyways. So this is very, very likely a very strong correlation between employees that are remote and employees feeling disconnected. So put some effort into this, it will pay great dividends because a team that enjoys each other's company will work better together and a team like that will also give everyone the benefit of the doubt on if there's a problem or issue that, Hey, I know Joe, of course it's not Joe, Joe's fault. Or, Hey, I know Joanne. of course, of course I'd give her the benefit of the doubt on this issue. All right. The last stat that then them really stood out to me was 52 or sorry, 54% do not support pay being tied to your location. I gotta be honest with you. I hard disagree with that. I've lived in really expensive places. And I can tell you, having lived in less expensive places, that you still come out behind someone living somewhere cheaper. The fact is that when you hear these inflated salaries in places like San Francisco and New York City, when you look at the taxes that they pay, when you look at the cost of living they pay on rent, when you look at the cost of food and transportation, everything, these people are still coming out behind. You could very easily, in many places in the country of the United States, you could be making a 100k salary and be doing better financially than someone making 160 or 170 in some of these really expensive places simply because they're getting squeezed on both sides. They're squeezed on their take home pay and they're squeezed on their cost of living. There is no way that someone in a cheaper place should be paid the same as these people who are getting squeezed in New York City, Hong Kong, London or SF. I also think that despite the changes in shifting to remote work, there are still tremendous advantages to living in a hub. I live in Austin, Texas now. I actually proactively build a hub, by, a hub here by organizing dinners with other founders, product minded people and investors and I found that to be transformative for me because one, it deals with any loneliness I would have because I connect with other smart people, but two, it's helping me make sure I keep my skills sharp and I'm talking to other intelligent people in my industry. If you live in a cabin in the mountains, you may be able to get Starlink satellite internet and connect really well, but are you building your skills? Are you still developing as well and having as many conversations as somebody who has collisions and conversations every day? Chances are now that lockdowns are over, that's not happening as much. So there are tremendous advantages I think for people to be in certain hubs and even being there, most of those people are still coming out behind even if the raw number of their compensation looks differently. I think that there is some room for adjustment and for salaries to raise as things get more competitive globally because I have worked and we do have people on the Lighthouse team in a lot of different places around the world. I think that people who feel like pay should be tied to your location is a bad idea. I think it doesn't it doesn't work out as you plan because either A, you're just never gonna hire anybody in your most expensive locations because you're not actually paying high enough for them to live or you're dramatically overpaying people. Sorry, but if you live in the suburbs of middle of nowhere Ohio and you get paid like a San Francisco based engineer, you're living like a king. Like it is insane how overcompensated you are. And I think it creates some bad incentives where you would never leave that company because you'd be at risk of such a pay cut to go anywhere else locally that someone may stick out a job that they're not actually happy with anymore because they can't afford to quit now that they've gotten used to a inflated lifestyle that's well above what, actually is market rate in your area so if you want to pay a little above market rate for people especially in developing areas or in other countries totally respect that but I think you never would want to go to the full extreme of looking at some of the most expensive places in the world and compensate people in much less expensive places the same way not only will blow out your unit unit economics of your team but it also is going to potentially create some negative incentives. We'll have in the show notes a little bit more about the buffer state of remote report and a link so you can check it out. They also have a beautiful setup so that you can check out all of the previous year's reports if you want to do even more comparison. All right, finally, I want to talk about the dark side of HR. See, I was watching Super Pump the other day, and this is the dramatization of what happened at Uber as they were becoming the taxi killing empire builder that we know them for today, where you can push a button and a car will come and pick you up and drive you where you want to go. If you followed Uber at all, you know that they've had a boatload of scandals. So they've had sexual harassment scandals, they've had government regulation scandals, they've had what we'll call illegal behavior to fight off competition in very, very shady ways. They've had employees doing drugs. They've had a lot of, a lot of stuff happen. And so not surprisingly, this eventually led to the CEO, Travis Kalanick, being fired by his board. And so Showtime made a miniseries about all those things happening and how he ultimately ended up getting removed after essentially launching this empire, which was able to do amazing things like break the taxi cartels, make ride significantly cheaper for everyone, make it so people of other minorities who may have been discriminated against by cab drivers are able to now get ride. Lots of good came from Uber, but also there was a very, very double-edged sword. And so today what I want to talk about is the sexual harassment scandal that ripped through the company and helped lead to Travis's departure as part of the dark side of HR. See, as I've seen and heard many times, there are priorities that HR is driven by and it's better to know them up front because it'll allow you to work better for allow you to work better with them and to understand when is the emergency break last because let's be honest and i think in most cases you don't work that closely with hr most of the time you're coming to them when there's a problem and so i think you have to think about what the incentives are for hr as an organization we're not speaking about individuals we know there's some great amazing people in hr at many companies but speaking as a larger rule of thumb you know that there's a couple of key priorities HR really has to care about most. The first and most important is don't get the company sued. So that means don't break any laws. That means make sure sure things run smoothly, avoid any lawsuits or other legal ramifications. If there's a legal question, that's usually who you're going to about it. The other thing is they don't wanna mess up something critical that usually means payroll. Does everybody get paid on Friday? You have to do that. If you pretend you paid people and you didn't really, that's called wire fraud and people go to jail for that all the time. In fact, if you ever read one of those cautionary tales about an early stage startup where the founder goes to prison, there's a pretty good chance it involves them faking wires or lying about paying their people or anything like that because it turns out state attorney generals love prosecuting stuff like that. You do not wanna end up in that point. So it's very obvious why HR would care about that. So again, their priorities are don't get the company sued and make sure critical actions happen so the lesson for managers is twofold first is if you have a problem they're there to help you only if it's legal and liability related when that's the case you absolutely should so if you're worried there's sexual harassment happening between two employees on your team you should go straight to hr and immediately find out how they want you to handle reporting because there are obligations around it going up the chain of the command that you need to document that you raise the concern if you were made aware of it At the same time, you also need to look at other things like, hey, is an employee stealing things? Again, great time to talk to HR and get their perspective. Or if an employee is doing something nefarious that could hurt the company, again, Good time to go to hr if they're stealing or they're doing something else again go to hr if you're worried about the law being involved whether it be the company being sued an employee breaking the law or some other infraction that you think could be serious certainly if you're in the kind of company maybe some blue collar workers osha safety violations things like that probably going to need to take a hard look at that although also there you may be looking at whether unions are involved too but again if you need if there's something where you think there's a procedure that you must follow, they are great at helping you understand what those are. The other thing though is to get what you need from them, you need to do your homework. Look at your side of the table. So what does that mean? If you wanna let an employee go, have clear documentation of both their issues and your attempts and communication to fix it. This is for instance a place where Lighthouse shines. We've heard many a time where HR has been delighted how Lighthouse not only allows managers to document issues as you talk about them in their one-on-ones and set action items, but the fact that there's a paper trail. If you send action items to an employee for say eight weeks straight, trying to get them to get better in weekly one-on-ones and they don't, if you've been sending our action items email for eight weeks and now there's an email timestamp of every time you did that. And inside Lighthouse, you can grab an export of the notes, you can take to HR and say, hey, here's all my notes for the last eight weeks showing I tried to talk to them and they refused to do this work. You now have something that they can use to prove you made an attempt to improve them and can actually let them go. This is much better than just coming to them and saying someone stinks and they're like, okay, great. You need to do a performance improvement plan and you need to prove that you've made the effort. So either they're going to tell you to go back and create it or you might as well have it already. Another one like we've talked about is there's an HR incident, sexual harassment, theft, some form of crime. Document it, research the laws in your state and country, and then come to HR with a report and discuss your options or how you need to execute it. You should make sure your liability as well, because again, HR is going to be first and foremost focused on the company's liability, not necessarily your personal liability. So a quick Google search or two can save you a lot of headaches and make sure that you ask them the right questions. That way, if they tell you, Hey, we need you to do X, you make sure you know what that means for you versus what it means for the company. And then finally, I think it's really important to your principles. I think going back to super pumped, one of the things that showed that was unfortunate and I think, happens more than people talk about publicly is that sometimes HR finds it easier to sweep things under the rug or do nothing about an issue than they do actually dealing with it. Because if you have a major issue and you start to deal with it, it can, it can require all kinds of investigations. Like in the case of Uber, they ignored a bunch of sexual harassment issues and swept them under the rug until they couldn't anymore. And then they literally brought in Eric Holder, former attorney general of the United States to come in and lead an investigation, which frankly led to what led to Travis Kalanick's departure because there were so many egregious things found. Realize that as much as you can do your part to bring information to HR, you need to know what your personal principles are. You need to decide what's worth it and what you're exposed to by being complicit. And you also should think about what your personal values are and if you wanna stay at a company that conflicts with those values. I don't think I would be able to stay at a company like Uber, regardless of what's happening to their stock, if I saw a bunch of illicit activity and I was told to ignore serious issues that somebody on my team brought to me. And so I think it's, as much as that shows a dramatization, a lot of that stuff is based on reality. There really was a major settlement with a bunch of female employees who were harassed in ridiculous ways. There was an incident where apparently employees went to went to a either a strip club or some type of brothel in South Korea on company dollars and a lot of other really sketchy things. And so I think it's important for you to know as a manager what your values are because sometimes you may need to walk away or at least be willing to walk away as a form of maintaining your own internal standards because once you compromise on your values, it's very hard to come back from that. And a little part of you inside will will feel that sting until you restore it. So the lesson here is that you need to, first of all, do your homework. You need to be well-prepared. You should document things when there are issues. And then you should also realize that HR can be a tremendous resource and is there to help you, but also realize that they have a certain kind of order of op- opportunity and priorities That may not necessarily always align with what you're doing and you should be prepared mentally for how you would handle that path. That way, whether you're relieved because they do everything you hoped or they seem to be sitting on it and you're not okay with that, you need to make sure that you're aware of it and doing what you're obligated to do. And I think that Super Pumped was a great example, even if it was a dramatization, of how you need to think about that and how... It can be very hard to tell what's going to happen until you're in a real situation where you have to deal with that. And there was a lot of money on the line and Uber was growing so rapidly that I'm sure there was a lot of pressure to just hold things together to get to the IPO. This has been the Trending Topics episode of the Creating High-Performing Teams podcast. We hope you learned a few things and got some food for thought today learning about remote work, burnout, and how to think about presenting information to HR. As always, if you have questions, feedback, or suggestions for the podcast, uh, you can always reply to any of our episodes there, or you can reach out to us. Thanks.